Well, I trust you bring your Bible with you to church, and you can open up to Matthew chapter 7. We believe here that the Bible is uh, the Word of God. It's, it's God disclosing Himself, speaking of Himself to us uh, through human authors and even the human messenger. Uh, so, in Matthew chapter 7, while I'm preaching, it's actually God who's going to be working uh, in all of our hearts. And this whole year, we've been going through the teachings of Christ. So, we've been hearing what Jesus Himself has to say about a variety of topics. Today, we're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about heaven. And in the weeks ahead, we're also going to talk about what Jesus has to say about hell. And then after that, we're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about the tribulation, the end times, etc. So it's going to be an exciting several weeks uh, hearing from the Lord Jesus himself on these topics. But back to the idea of heaven... Let me begin by just asking you a few questions for self-reflection. For self-reflection. How confident are you that you are going to heaven? If you're confident, what are you basing your confidence on? How confident are you that your family members are going to heaven? And what are you basing your confidence on for them? And what about your coworkers and your friends? How sure are you that they are actually on the way to heaven? Uh, Jesus covers the essential topic of heaven, and he gives us uh, a very clear picture of how we can know if we're going to heaven, how we can know if others are going to heaven, and where that confidence can come from. Let's pray, and then we'll hear the Lord Jesus on heaven. Father, praise you for talking about eternity Thank you that your word covers this topic of where we will spend forever. We pray that your word would go forth clearly by your spirit. And Lord, we open our hearts to you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to say today. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew's sharing a series of many sermons that Jesus preached. And tucked into this list... It's just a couple verses on heaven here, and then a few verses later, he circles back and covers the idea of heaven again. So Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus describes the way to heaven and the way to hell using this uh, image of two ways, paths, and two gates. Only two paths, only two gates. And Jesus talks about how the one gate is described as narrow. Uh, It's hard to find. Few end up finding it, and it's a hard road to walk. And then there's a wide road, and many are on it, and it's easy to walk, and it leads to destruction. So the first thing Jesus says about heaven, you can write this down, is this. I must enter by the narrow gate of Jesus. I have to enter by the narrow gate of Jesus. My my most favorite word of these two verses is the first word, verse 13. It says, enter. Enter. The fact that there is an entrance to heaven is amazing. You won't appreciate The fact that there is an entrance to the gate of heaven, unless you know that the Bible teaches there was not a way to get into heaven 
for a very long time. There was no entrance. In Genesis chapter 3, of course you remember, sin entered the world. This world was not created with sin. Humans imported sin into this world and it broke. And as a result, in Genesis 3.24, it says, God drove out the man from the garden and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You learn something about your nature. First of all, even from the very beginning, humanity did not have eternal life intrinsic to our nature. It was somewhere else. God made a way for us to live forever. It was in the form of this tree of life. But when sin entered the world, that way was shut. He took that away. He closed that door. Why? Well, because in your sinful state, he doesn't want this to be your eternity. He doesn't want you to be stuck like this in sin forever. I'm happy about that. That door is gone. That door is shut. But there was no other way. The whole Old Testament kept telling people there is no way for you to get into heaven. The entire temple system was set up as one big diagram of God showing that here's my presence. No one can get into it right now. You can't get in. The door is shut. There is no way. If you don't realize that based on humanity and our sin, there is no way that you can get into heaven, you won't fully appreciate that this verse says, enter. You won't appreciate that there had to be a way that was open for us. Uh, In Isaiah 59 verse 2, it says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Separation. The way between you and God was out. The bridge was down. Check this out. This is a picture of a bridge that is out. Wow. How'd you like to be that little red car right there in the middle that was on the bridge when the bridge went kaboom? Uh, But see, that's more than just a bridge out. That's your way to heaven. That's your way to heaven. In, In Eden, it broke. It fell. It's taking you nowhere. Your sins have separated you from your God. Here's another picture of a bridge out. There's you. Spiritually speaking, there's you. Hanging over the edge of a bridge that is out. And you can't get close to God. It's impossible. Job recognized this in his trial in Job 9.32. He said this, For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. He said there's no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Do you see what he's longing for? Job is saying, I'm all the way over here. God's all the way over there. And there's, there's nobody, there's no man who could stand in between us and put a hand on me and my humanity and a hand on God and his divinity and bring us together. What was he longing for? He was longing for a mediator, someone to bring him back to God. He knew there was not a way. But praise the Lord, Jesus here announces, enter, enter. There's a way. There's a new way. He says it's narrow, so there's a single point of access. It's narrow. There's one way in. This idea of narrow describes it as being not obvious, uh, off the beaten path, not the road you'd naturally take because it's not easy, and there's not a lot of people on it. It's not popular. It's narrow. Here's a picture of a narrow trail. If you're a hiker, maybe you'll appreciate this, but here's a it's up in the mountains. It's just like this three-board trail. They give you a nice little chain up there on the cliff to hold on to so you don't fall to your death. Here's a few other pictures, but this is a narrow way. 
narrow way. Put on this helmet, you know, in case you fall 5,000 feet. <laughs> Thanks. I feel safe. It's narrow. It's, and here's another picture. It's hard. This is a hard way to walk. <laughs> you go first. Okay. <laughs> That's a narrow way. All right, leave that up there for a second. That's a narrow way. It's hard to walk. Not everyone's going to take it. Jesus is like, that's kind of the way to get to heaven. That's what it'll feel like. Feel like you're on a very narrow, very hard way. What does it mean that it's narrow? It means, spiritually speaking, from a vantage point of truth, um, not every truth will lead you to this gate. In fact, every other truth will lead you to a different gate. Only the truth about Christ will lead you to this gate. What it, when he says it's hard, what does that mean that it's hard? Well, spiritually it's hard, morally it's hard, because men love darkness. We love darkness. We love our sin. Uh, and, and it's hard to let that go, to admit it, to surrender. Uh, the truth is, coming to Christ costs you everything. Uh, right? Jesus doesn't always cost you something. Jesus always costs you everything. And the fact that Jesus would say, if you don't forsake all that you have, you can't be my follower, means that coming to Christ, there's no conditions. You are all His. You are all in. It costs you everything. It's hard. It's hard. And it says only a few find it. It places you in the minority. If you're a high schooler who lives for Christ and talks about Christ, you get weird looks. You get made fun of. If you're a college student who really wants to redeem these years and and make them your greatest years of spiritual growth ever, what? We've got freedom now. Why would you want to do that? Uh, You get treated differently when you're on the narrow road. There's only a few who are walking. But it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. It leads to life that begins when this life ends. It leads to life that transcends this world entirely. It leads to life. Listen, when you were born, you were bound for ruin. And throughout history, for thousands of years, there was no way for there to be any other end to your story. But God was getting the world ready for something. He was telling people who believed it by faith that there would come a way, a new way that would be opened. And Jesus, in John 10, verse 9, says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 spells it out. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by, get this, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How does anybody get to heaven? I have to enter by the narrow gate of Jesus. He has to open the door. I have to go to him personally to be able to get to heaven. It's narrow. It's hard. Few find it, but it leads to life. Are you on that road? Are you on that narrow road? I've heard people say before after someone dies, well, he went to a better place. Well, she went to a better place. But listen, death, death doesn't take you to a better place. Jesus takes you to a better place if he died in your place. He's the door. He's the way. He's the narrow gate. And if you find him, you've found the road. And if you walk past him, you've missed the road. I must enter by the narrow gate of Jesus. Uh, but Jesus realizes that there are two gates. 
He says, enter by the narrow gate. Why? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. So here's the second thing you can write down. Uh, I must exit the wide gate to destruction. I must exit the wide gate to destruction. The gate is wide. What does that mean? Uh, It means there's plenty of room on this way, on this path, through this gate. There's plenty of room. Uh, it's, It's the more comfortable road, which means you're more likely to choose this road. It's also got plenty of company there. There's a crowd. There's many people who would tell you this is the way. Uh, the fact that it's wide means that it's easy. It's low demand. You're, you're on it. You feel like staying on it. Most people expect you to stay on it because most people are on it. it the ease of travel, the fact that it's popular, it's endorsed for many, there's room for the masses, it's low demand means that's the road most, many, most people walk. It's wide. Here's a picture of a wide gate. And I'll contrast that with the narrow gate. Uh, there's plenty of room. Uh, spread out. It's nice and paved. It's, it's well worn down. There's, uh, that's the wide gate. It's the wide gate, the obvious gate, the one that you more feel like traveling that doesn't lead to heaven. That gate leads to destruction. Uh, when you ever go to a water park, you ever go on, you know, the lazy river? You ever been on the lazy river? You see, because there's all those like huge water slides and, and, and they're like death defying and you don't know if you're going to make it. And then there's the lazy river. You just have to sit on the tube and the lazy river does all the work for you. My mom's favorite ride was the lazy river. It's the only thing she'd go on. She wouldn't go down water slides. She would just ride the lazy river. Now imagine if a water park opened up a lazy river and here the first group of people got on the lazy river and just for fun, at the end of a long lazy river, they put a 500-foot drop onto sharp rocks and everyone who got on the lazy river ended up dying. Jesus is like, yep, that's, that's the wide road. It's the easy road. It's the lazy river road. It's the road that goes over the falls. It's the road that leads to destruction. What does it mean that it's easy? Um, What does it mean that it's easy? Spiritually speaking, it means you can stay on it and keep your sin. Nobody on this road will confront you or tell you about a judgment that's coming where every one of your deeds and words and thoughts and actions and every one of your inactions of things you should have done that were right will be called to account. That's not talked about on the easy wide road. Why is it easy? Well, it's because you can believe parts of the truth, the parts that you like. You can pick, you can choose, and no one's going to tell you you have to believe all of the truth. It's also easy because you get to be your own God. You get to determine your own destiny. Um, It frees you from accountability. It frees you from obligation to truth. It's easy. It's wide. But there's a problem Because trying to keep your sin, trying to believe parts of the truth, trying to be your own God and thinking that way is going to take you into heaven is not reconcilable with what the Bible says. You can't have it both ways. Um, Charles Spurgeon once said this, You and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. You can't stay on the easy road and believe what you want and do what you want and still go to heaven. Your loved ones, your family members, your co-workers can't believe what they want, act like however they want, and still go to heaven. Jesus is saying there's two roads, there's two gates. Either you're on the narrow, hard road that will lead to life, or you're on the wide, easy road that's going to lead nowhere other than destruction. 
There's only two roads. There's only two gates. There's only two destinations. I have to exit at some point in my life the wide gate to destruction. Listen, it's easy not to. It's, it's easy to run to alcohol and drown yourself in liquor rather than find peace. It's easy to give up on your marriage that's broken rather than let God fix it. It's easy to feed your sexual lust in any way you want. It's easy to lie. It's easier to steal. It's a shortcut. Selfishness is easy. Bitterness, pride, unforgiveness, materialism, they all come easy. They all come naturally. It's because sin wired that into your hard drive. You're born spiritually broken. But hey, you love your sin too. So even though you had sin in the hardware, you also downloaded sin in your software time and time and time again throughout your life because you love your sin. You're ravaged by sin. Which means version 1.0 of you can't get to heaven. You are born unfit for heaven. What changed? What has to change? What can change? Uh, Version 2.0 of you needs to be released. The Bible says you have to be born again. The Bible says you have to be recreated. How does that happen? It's when you come to the person of Jesus Christ and he saves you. It's a person who has the life to give you. I have to exit the wide gate of destruction. There's only two gates. Now, some people complain about the fact that there's only two gates. I don't like that there's only two gates. What do you mean? What do you mean? You mean your way is the only right way. That sounds unkind. That sounds intolerant. That sounds exclusive to think that your way is the only right way. Maybe you've heard people say that before. I'd like to just push back on that a little bit. Is that true? Is it true that if there's only one way, that's intolerant, exclusive, and unkind to believe that? It's fashionable to believe that. Here's three things that it's pretty fashionable to believe today. You can write these down. It's fashionable to believe that you can be saved by sincerity. Write that down. That you can be saved by sincerity. Meaning, as long as he really believes something else, like if he really believes it, then that, that's true for him. Like He can be saved by that. So somehow, the, uh, the percentage of authenticity that's attached to his truth claim makes it true. Meaning, sincerely believing truth makes it truth. But does that work for everyone? Like there's people who get caught up in cults and people who get caught up in, uh, in harmful, damaging lies, you know, that, that get brainwashed and warped. And I mean, I, I think of uh, David Koresh and how he really taught these people to believe that the end is near and they should lay down their lives for this. And they really believed it. Are you saying that anyone who really believes something, it's true for them and it's valid and binding? Uh, I mean, how do, you even, how do you even go politically to what happened in Germany, how they really believed that there were people who were of a lower class and you can just exterminate them and the world is a better place? They really believed that to be true. Well, now you've got to backpedal. Well, well, no. I mean, not, not everything that's sincerely believed is really true. Okay, well, now who determines what sincerely held truth is really true? You? You just made yourself God. You're now the arbiter between all truth claims Nice promotion in life you just gave yourself. See, so it sounds sentimental to say if you really believe it, it's true, but you really just gave yourself the power to say what's true and false. You don't have that power. You see, it has to be discovered outside of you. 
It has to transcend you to really be truth. So it's fashionable to believe that you're saved by sincerity, but you get in big problems if you just say that about everything. Here's the next one. It's fashionable to believe you're saved by a show of hands. Show of hands. Okay, so, well, I've got my truth claim and and what I believe, but there's millions of people who believe something else. How can all of those people be wrong? There's so many people who believe it. Show of hands of how many people believe it. Look, count them. There's thousands or millions of people who believe it. So because of the show of hands, it's really going to save them. Salvation by a show of hands. But is it really the popular vote that makes something true? Is it really the po- As long as we get enough people to believe something, then that makes it true. Do you really believe that's the nature of truth? Because there's a whole lot of people who believe wrong things. We know that. We really know that. So salvation by show of hands just, again, doesn't make sense. Um, it's not popularity that makes something true. Here's the next one. Some people believe that you're saved by smushing other religions together. Smushing religions together. So you don't really need to pick one. You're free to pick parts of various religions. This is the old country buffet theology. I can go to parts of this, parts of that. I can take a spoonful of this, a spoonful of that, and I can mix it together. And now I have this new blend of truth, right? Okay, but again, people who are sincerely devoted to their faith would say to you, whoa, 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 why did you just take part of my truth and leave part of it behind? To which you would reply, I have the ability to discern what part of your truth is true, which makes you God. You see, it sounds sentimental and it sounds loving, but it's really self-glorifying to give yourself the gavel over what's true and what's not. Um, I must exit the wide gate to destruction. I can't think that simple sincerity or show of hands or smushing of other religions together will actually work. But... It's actually very popular in the United States to believe this is true. In 2011, George Barna did a poll that found 50% of Americans believe eventually everyone will be saved no matter what you believe or do. 50%. Do you believe everyone will be saved regardless of what you've believed or done in your life? Yes. What about you? No. What about you? Yes. What about you? No. 50, half the room. Doesn't matter what you do, what you believe, all dogs go to heaven. Half the room. No, there's going to be some standards applied. This is our country. Sadly, it's not only our country, it's also our church. In the church, many Christians will tell you it's not our responsibility to try telling people that their way is wrong. Like, like we can believe our thing, but who are we to tell others that what they believe is wrong? That's not our place. Christians will tell you don't share your faith with other people. Why? Why? Well, because it could offend them. Because, you know, it, it could, it could, they could feel judged, you see. But you have to understand that, that God is offended by them. You have to understand that God is disgraced by them. You have to understand that God is provoked by them, that God is ignored by them, that God the Son died for them. When you realize that you should be focusing on God and not the person you realize it's in their best interest that they actually hear the truth. It, it, it troubles me when Christians speak so sentimentally about not sharing their faith with other people. It's like you are kindly leading them right past Jesus and not stopping. Uh, but if you walk people past the cross in the name of love, you're kindly leading them to their own destruction. They won't thank you for it. They won't thank you for it. 
Maybe in this life you'll minimize the conversations and the conflict, but not in the next. Why do believers not share their faith? Why do we not feel like we have to do it? Well, either you believe other ways work, or you believe that you really that people on the wrong way should be left alone. You either believe one of those two things. You either believe their way is going to work somehow or their way is wrong, but they should just be left alone. Do you really believe other ways work? I mean, I really want you to ask yourself that. Do you really believe other ways work? Uh, Do you believe Buddhism works? Because they believe that the spiritual realm is empty. There's nothing and no one there. And the sooner you embrace it, the faster you will cease to exist entirely. Will that work? Do you really believe that will work? Do you think God will let that work? Um, What about Hinduism? They teach that behind this world, after you return to this earth thousands of times to work off your own sin debt by yourself, then you go into the next life where you are absorbed into a sea of divine energy. Will that work? Do you really believe that will work? Do you really think God will let that work? Uh, What about Islam? Islam teaches God has no son. Islam teaches God is not a father. And Jesus never died on the cross. Will that work? Do you really in your heart think that will work? And do you think God will let that work? You see, you have to confront what you believe about truth. Do you think morality works? Do you think, well, he did his best. She's trying her hardest. He he didn't come the narrow road to Christ, but are you allowing any other way in your heart to open up? Because the Bible doesn't allow that, and neither does Jesus. And what you have to face is the most loving thing you can do is to help people find the way that leads them to life. Any other enabling of leaving them on the other road is not love, and it's not truth. Do you believe other roads work? Maybe you don't. Maybe you believe that other people are on the wrong road. You just don't think it's your responsibility to tell them about it. All right? Check out this video. There's a guy who's trapped here on a balcony, and a building is burning down. Check it out. Here's what happened. Onlookers watched helplessly as a construction worker tried to escape the inferno that engulfed a Houston apartment complex Tuesday afternoon. The five-story building was under construction. High winds fanned the fire. This worker desperately tried to find any escape. He lowered himself, clinging to the ledge, and dropped down from the fifth floor to the fourth. Firefighters scrambled to position the ladder that would bring Houston Fire Department senior captain Brad Hawthorne to the man's rescue. Good grief. Seconds counted. I mean, just everything played together real well. A couple more seconds one way or the other, and... We could have had a you know, fatality possible. So should they have reached out to him? Should they have extended the ladder up to him? What do you think? Should they have? Why? Why? It's the only way. Does he have any other way down? Let's wait until we get three trucks here with three ladders, okay, because there should be more than one way. That doesn't work in real life. If there's a way, the person in danger is going to take it. If you really believe that people should be spared from physical danger, you have to understand that as a church, we exist to seek and to save the lost. 
We exist to extend the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ to those who are on the wide and easy road that's going to lead nowhere other than to destruction. We have to embrace that. That's how we get on mission. That's how we feel the zeal of the cross. And that's how God begins to use us to change other people through the cross forever. I must enter by the narrow gate of Jesus. I must exit the wide gate to destruction along with everyone else. Here's the third point. I must discern what road I'm really on. I must discern what road I'm really on. Jesus anticipates that there's some people in his audience who are deceived. And they have to discern what road they're really on. Uh, There's only two paths. There's only two gates. There's only two destinations. Here's the trick. They're both marked heaven. Both gates, the wide one and the narrow one, are both marked heaven. So most people, poll revealed less than 1% of people surveyed in the United States will actually say they're going to hell. Most people think it's the wide and the easy road that's really taking them to heaven. Jesus covers this if you look at chapter 7, verse 21 in the book of Matthew. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people who had some connection to Jesus. They had some connection to the church. They had some familiarity with the truth. They would even call Jesus Lord, Lord. But the door is shut and they're approaching it and saying, it's time, it's time for us to come in. And Jesus is saying, you're not getting in. They thought they were getting in and there's many, he says, many who will walk up to the door and be turned away to their own surprise. Is that you? Is that you? Do you think the road you're on is leading you to heaven, but it's turning out it's not? Jesus is calling you to attention here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does what? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Meaning your life has to change. You can't stay on the wide road with an unchanged life, with an untouched belief system, with an unchallenged pattern of sin. You can't do it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Hey, I was active at my church. I worked at VBS. I served in the parking lot. You remember? And then will I declare to them, here it is, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You never gave up your sin. I didn't know you as Savior. It's not a mystery. You don't have to go to bed at night worrying, well, what if I'm in that group? What if, what if I think I'm saved and I'm really not? No, if you have a life-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus, you are on the narrow road. You will find life. If you're giving it lip service, if you're faking, if you're holding on to your love affair with sin, don't fool yourself. That road is not leading you to life. Jesus will say, yeah, you played church, did a great job. Fooled some people, not me. Lip service isn't enough. You were still in your sin. The last thing people will hear on the way to hell is not their laundry list of things they did wrong. They will hear that. But the last thing they hear is, I never knew you. Jesus says to them, I never knew you personally. 
I have to discern what road I'm really on. And the discernment comes when you realize where you stand with Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 13, verse 23 says this, Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will say to you, I do not know where you came from. Some of you just heard your future in eternity before it happened. You'll be outside. The door will be shut. You'll never get in because you lost your chance here. The door will be shut. This should alarm you. The wide, easy, sinful road that leads to destruction will lead you to a slam door to eternal life. It will not get you there. It will lead to destruction. But many in this life live undecided. They put it off. They think somehow, well, I'll just figure that out when I get there. Or they think, well, there's really not enough information for me to make my decision in this life. So I'm off the hook. Uh, And you think somehow maybe God's going to give you a little chance once you pass over, whether through one last chance or purgatory working your way out of hell or something. You think there's going to maybe hopefully be one more chance waiting for you there, and you're wrong. You're wrong. The door will be shut forever. Your chance is now. The road you're on is leading to destruction. When I think of the word destruction, I think of the Titanic. I think of the Titanic. What, what a sad end to a great glorious story. You know, it took, the, it took 2,000 men three years to build the Titanic. Do you know that a first-class passenger paid $96,000 in today's currency to get on board? $96,000 it would cost you today to get on the Titanic. They said even God couldn't sink that ship, and in two and a half hours they were proved wrong. Two and a half hours, that's all it took, and down it went. You know, you're holding in your hand in this life a first-class ticket aboard the Titanic, and the world began to sink a long time ago. This world is going to destruction, and both your feet are on the deck of the sinking ship. And Christ gives you a way out. There's a lifeboat, but it's leaving. And he's saying, get on the boat. Get off the ship. Get on the boat. I'm here to save you. And many of the people who you see throughout your day, though right now they are inches away from you, they're on one ship, you're on another. They're going down, you're not. You have now, you only have now to convince them to come aboard. To show them the nature of this world, the destiny this world is leading them to. Are you safe? Are they safe? This makes me wonder where I stand. How do I discern what road I'm really on? How do I figure out if I will actually go to heaven forever? It's not hard. Here's the first thing you can write down. Uh, I have a story. I have a story. Do you have a story of a time where you came to know Jesus personally as Savior? Do you have a time where it became more than lip service, more than rote religion, more than a a box that you checked, more than... do Do you have a time where the living, risen, reigning person of Jesus Christ became real to you because He did something in you? Do you have a time where you came to know Christ? 
Even if you were raised in the Christian church, maybe you say, well, it happened over time, naturally. That's true. But what you heard growing up, make no mistake, what you heard growing up is you have a sin problem only Jesus can solve. Have you ever gone to him and repented and asked for his forgiveness? There, there's a point in every person's life when you have to cross over from darkness to light. It's called being born again. That only happens when God saves you by grace through faith in Jesus. Do you, do you have a story? Could you share your story? Could you tell me your story? Uh, because if you don't have a story, then, then you don't have a Lord. If you don't have a story when He came into your life, then, then you, don't, you don't have life. Here's the next thing. Write this down. Have you been baptized? I have a story. I've been baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. Let's be clear. Baptism can't save you. But baptism shows that you've been saved. And it's very important to Jesus that you choose to publicly declare your faith in Him. Your, your parents can't do that for you. It says in Matthew ten thirty two to 33, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Have you chosen to be baptized? Have you chosen to publicly tell of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, there's a giant question mark over your soul. Uh, because it says in the Bible, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is the first thing a saved person does in obedience to Christ. Have you been baptized? Do you have a story? Have you told it through baptism? Here's the third one. Uh, I walk with Christ. Do you walk with Christ? What do I mean by this? I mean your relationship with Christ is self-evident to those around you. If, if you rounded up the 10 people in your life who were closest to you and who knew you the best, and I asked all of them, does this person have a relationship with Christ? Would they go 10 for 10 with yes? The people who know you best, are they at all unclear on where you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if they are, God's unclear on where you stand with Christ. If 10 for 10 won't say, oh yeah, Christ, yes, trust me, they know Christ. 10 for 10, why don't they know that? Are you walking with Christ? Is there evidence that Christ is a real person in your life that you worship because he did something for you that no one else could do? Are you walking with Christ? Have you been baptized? Do you have a story? Listen, Jesus preached this message originally He drew this contrast of two roads, one that seems insignificant and hard to find, very difficult, to make you wonder if you're on it. He wants you to wonder. He wants you to know that there is a way. And what he's saying to you is, enter, enter, get off the wide, easy road that leads to destruction and get on the narrow road that leads through me to eternal life. That's what he wants you to hear. I want you to resolve in your own heart where you stand with this. I want you to resolve in your own heart where, what road you're really on. And, uh, and so here's what I want you to do. I left a place at the bottom of the bulletin there where you can write out your story. Uh, just one sentence. You could tell your story in an hour, right? But can you just do it in one sentence? Here's, here's my story in one sentence, my one-sentence story. The bass player in my heavy metal band invited me to church. I heard the gospel, repented, and Jesus saved me. That's my story. It's kind of a run-on sentence. I used a bunch of commas, right? So, but can you do it? Can you write your story in one sentence? 
how Jesus saved you, when he saved you. Can you write that out? Do you have a story? I'd love for you to write that out right now. And in a few minutes, we're going to do something special. I want you to have a chance to share your story. We're going to have a few people come up here with microphones, and you're going to have a chance to come up and to actually share your one-sentence story and to witness and to share with others what God has done in your heart. And I want you to be courageous, and I want you to be brave, and I want you to share your story. But for right now, let me just give you a chance to write out your one-sentence story. Go ahead and do that right now. Be thinking about what it is. Be thinking about uh, when exactly it happened. Try and condense it down to just that brief summary that shows how God did it, when he did it. And in a moment, I'll come back up here and you'll have a chance to share it. Well, this is your chance uh, for you to share the story that God has written in your life. We have a couple guys right now who are up here in the front with microphones. Um, and listen, I want you to be courageous. I want you to take a risk. I want you to stand up right now. And I want you to come up and share your story. Do it right now. Come forward and share your story. Come on. Come forward. When I was about eight years old, someone at us. My former pastor and my parents invited me, and I asked Jesus Christ as my personal and Satan. Um, I was um, 24 years old, October of 1994. I got invited to church by some friends in Schaumburg and got saved. Gave my heart to Christ. God used an abusive relationship to bring me to church with my sister. I heard his word and repented of my sin. A couple years ago, I saw a baptism service at this church and realized I needed to be forgiven and repented. 
I heard a preacher share the gospel on the radio, realized I was a sinner, and repented. When I was 18, I was a homeless drug addict. I hit the bottom of the pit, and I finally looked up and saw my Savior and accepted Jesus as my Savior. Thank you. I was a single mom with no hope. A friend shared the gospel with me. I repented, Jesus saved me, and I married that friend. I was a young unbeliever and was invited to a Bible study um, with a bunch of old women who, as it turns out, were women my age at the time. Um, they had a glow and a love that I had never seen. I invited Jesus to be my Savior that very night, and it was the best choice I ever made. Uh. A little over a year ago, I uh, was talking to a colleague, and uh, he said he needed help on a real estate deal. He said, we actually want to find a church, and uh, you're an industrial broker, maybe you can help him. Uh, one thing led to another, I met the pastors here, and uh, it was such a great journey. I then became very, very sick with uh, throat and neck cancer, and uh, uh, Harvest Bible Chapel and Jesus Christ saved my life, and I came to him, and... Uh, I just melt when I think about it. It's been terrific. Thank you. Uh, about 30 years ago, I, I looked really good on the outside. I was young, attractive, successful. I was a lot of fun, but I was a sinner, and God kept sending people to me. Finally, I listened, and now I'm happy. I don't look happy, but I'm happy. <laughs> I'm content, and I'm the child of a king. These will be the last two. My grandpa was watching a Jesus movie, and I asked him, who was that? And then I got saved. When I was at teen camp, I uh, heard a gospel message, and I repented and uh, asked the Lord into my heart. He saved me. All right, last one. I've walked in sin my whole life, and throughout the years, God has sent me so many people that he kept knocking at the door and knocking. And I eventually said to God, please come into my heart. And the door was open and my life has changed forever. And I'm so grateful to God that he saved me and forgave me. So the Bible says before each of us, there's only two roads, there's only, there's only two gates, there's only two doors, there's only two destinations. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it are many. The gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Hey, do you have a story? Do you have a story of when you left the wide, easy road to destruction and you started walking the narrow road? by Christ. Do you have a story? Because if you don't, I think Christ is saying to you this morning, enter. He's saying, strive to enter. With an urgent appeal, he's saying, get off the road you're on. You don't have much time. This life is fleeting. It's going down. This is your chance. This is your chance. 
I just want to give you a chance if you don't have a story to respond to what you heard by coming to Jesus who is the door, he is the life. He alone can give you access to heaven by what he did for you at the cross. I want to give you a chance to respond and to accept Jesus as Savior. Now let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes right now together. But listen, I believe there are some in this room right now. You know God is telling you it's time. You know Jesus is saying it's time to get off that road. It's time to get on my road. I believe you're here. And I want to give you an invitation, not to come up to the front, not to get on a microphone, but I want to give you an invitation to acknowledge that this is you, that God is talking to you. I'd like to pray with you, but first, as everyone has their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I want to invite you to stand up. I want to invite you right now to show the Lord that you've heard him, that you're responding to him. I want you to have the courage to stand up right now so I can pray with you. No one's looking around. No one's looking around. You know you've not received Christ before. You know that God is laying that before you. I'm going to pray with you in a moment. If you haven't missed it, if this is you, if God's revealing this to you, just stand up. Show him that you're hearing. Show him that you're listening. Let me pray with you as you stay standing. Father in heaven, hear this group of people. They've heard your word. They know where they stand with you, but you made a way. They've been putting it off for too long and they know it. So it's my honor to pray with them right now as they say this in their own hearts. Father in heaven, I believe your word is true. I'm on the wrong road. My life is filled with sin. It's not leading me to heaven. But you made a way. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. Thank you that he rose again. I believe he died. I believe he rose. I believe he rules on high. And Jesus, give me eternal life. I trust you alone. My hope is in you alone. My faith is in you alone. My eternity is in your hands. Father, those who for the first time are trusting Jesus as Savior, give them the assurance that they've been saved by grace. Give them the assurance that nothing in this life can take away from them what you have freely given them. And give them the promise that they will be with you forever in paradise. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.